everyone will go on back. We again are glad everyone is here. Those that are visiting, welcome. We are glad you're here. Dan's going to be teaching uh, us from John 7, but we're going to read the scripture here. I'll read this, and if you can follow along uh, in whatever way you choose, from the bulletin, from an electronic device, or from a printed Bible. But we'll read John 7, 1 through 13. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. This is the word of the Lord. I'll begin this morning by telling two stories, a dream and Rush Limbaugh. That's the title of it. Yeah, yeah. We're just jumping right into this, right? First, a dream. <laughs> a dream. In 2010, I decided to go to counseling for the very first time in my life. In truth, the experience wasn't very life-changing for me. I didn't weep at every session or spend a lot of time talking about the fam familial patterns that had shaped who I was. It was simply just a good chance for me to ex express my emotions and what I was feeling. I don't remember a lot, but I do remember one particular story that I spent time talking about with the counselor at the time. And it was a dream. It was a dream that I had had the previous night, and it was a very vivid dream for me. In this dream, I'm being chased by a tiger. It's a very fearful, scary moment for me, and I'm running, and I'm running from this tiger that's coming after me. And I get to the edge of this cliff, and I see it, and I go, I gotta jump. And I jump, but there's a branch. And I hold on to the branch. And while I'm on this branch, and this is how dreams work, guys. Just, just, just go with me here, all right? I'm on the branch holding on, and I say, I just want to matter. I just want to matter. I just want to matter. It was a very, very poignant dream. I told him that day I needed to process this tension that was being felt in my heart. And the tension that I was experiencing in that moment revolved around my desire to do God's work for the glory of God and the good of others, but also this desire to make a name for myself doing God's work. You see, I so badly wanted people to look at me, to sing my praises, to, to, to them, for them to, to hold me up and say, man, what a man. That guy really matters. This is this tension that I was constantly feeling, and it was this tension that manifests itself in this dream where I'm like running from something, holding on and saying, I just want to matter. What's up with this tension in my heart, this desire to matter, but using the very things of God to try to make a difference and make a name for myself for the glory of myself? Is there something wrong with me? It's a dream. 
Now, Rush Limbaugh. From time to time in my car, I'll be flipping through the radio stations that are in um, Little Rock. And in truth, radio is going away because we've got podcasts and, and iTunes and all that stuff that we can just listen to in the car. And so there really are very few and far between radio stations. And of course, one of the dominant radio stations or that, that exist are talk radio sh shows. And so Rush Limbaugh, for the last, I don't know how many years, has dominated the airwaves. But in February of this last year, Rush Limbaugh died. Now, please don't look into anything of what I'm saying politically. I don't want you to think about this. Is, I'm, I'm introducing you to what goes on in my mind, okay? So please don't read into this because you bring politics into the church and people are, get all weird and things like that. Please don't read any, anything into this. But Rush Limbaugh was, without a doubt, one of the most prominent voices on the airwaves in America. He, 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 he was... Uh, incredibly wealthy, he had a huge following, literally was recognized by the president for his, his work that he had done. People had known him and seen him and held him up. But in February of this year, he died. And now you can't hear his voice on the radios. You can't listen to his opinions about the politics of this day. And here's what I think about when I don't hear Rush Limbaugh's voice on the radio anymore. I was like, what, all, what of all his work? I mean, all he was doing, for the most part, and, and this is where I don't want you to read into it, you know, he was speaking and he was making the money, and, and yeah, he would probably say, yeah, I was trying to leave a legacy, and that's great, but he's dead now. And what of that legacy? What of his life? It, it makes me go, what am I doing with my life that when I die, it's going to last, it's going to matter? It's kind of what it makes me do. You see, there's this tension that we all experience, whether you're a Christian or you're not. It is this tension that is created by the things that influence us. As a Christian man, I have this tension between doing God's will or the world's will. The reason why I mentioned Limbaugh and those sorts of things is that if he was doing it simply to make money, He's dead now. He can't use that money. He doesn't have, who cares about the fame? He's six feet under. The world wants to think, this is what we live for, for money, for fame. But if you die, what good is that money? What good is that fame? It's this tension that we all can experience, whether you're Christian or not, of what influences our will. And the Bible calls this the two wills. There's God's will or the, there's the world's will. And this morning, what I want us to explore is the world's will and the weakening of the world's will for all of us. If you're like me and a Christian and know the tension that is created between doing God's will or doing the world's will, this is a sermon for you. Sorry, we got banshees in the back. Sorry. If you are not a Christian and you know the, 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 the vanity or you experience or think about the vanity of trying to accumulate all this wealth, all these experiences, but then are afraid of what is to come, this is a sermon for the weakening of the world's will. It is my heart and soul today to bring about and explore the key to weakening the world's influence in all of our lives. And to do this, we're gonna look at John 7 and Jesus' interaction with his brothers in verses one through 13. 
what indeed we will find in these verses is the key to the weakening of the world. If the world is gonna have less influence on us, its will has less influence on, on us, and we begin to pursue a different will, a will of God, then we must study this and look at this. We're gonna look at three things of the world today. We're gonna look at the way of the world, for when we see the way of the world, we begin to understand how the world works and how we can begin to say no to that. The second thing we're gonna look at is the weight of the world, when we understand just how heavy and pervasive and powerful the world is, we will begin to understand the way out from the weight of the world. And finally, we're gonna look at the weakening of the world. So simply put, we're gonna look at the way of the world, the weight of the world, and the weakening of the world. So first, let's look at the way of the world. How does the world work? Now this is a far more complex, far more uh, in-depth study than we have really time today. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the three ways in which the world works from our passage, just three ways. And I've got a helpful little like, uh, I forget what it's called, they're all T words, okay? So the world's ways, we're gonna look at the world's treasure, the world's techniques, and the world's time. So what is the, how do we understand the way of the world? Well, let's look at what the world's treasures, the te world's techniques, and the world's times. First, let's look at the world's treasures. Jesus' brother, in verse three, come to Jesus, and they say to him, get out of here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. Um, Jesus' brothers understand and have and see that Jesus has been able to heal people, to work miracles. They understand that he's been able to multiply bread and people are coming to him. They see in Jesus the ability to do something. And they can't understand why Jesus isn't taking an opportunity to let his talent, what he can do, be known. And here we have a perfect picture of what the world treasures. What does the world treasure? talent, the ability to do something. Those who are talented are the ones who are most valued in the world. If you are talented, you will be glorified and lifted up for all to see. If you are talented, you'll be known, loved, and revered. Jordan's not here this morning. His wife is sick. But one of the conversations that, that he's brought to my attention is a, is a conversation that he has with the students that he teaches. And one of the conversations was, who is the most influential person in the world? And his student says, LeBron James. LeBron James can change the world. Now, it makes sense because the world values talent. And the world props up, arguably, the most talented basketball player in all the world. And so the person who has the most talent has the ability to change the world. Of course, Jordan, if you know Jordan, Jordan just shakes his head and goes, oh my gosh, this is, LeBron James can't change the world. But this is what the world treasures, talent. Of course, Jesus' brothers see that Jesus has talent and they want him to use it. But Jesus resists, as we will see. If you wanna know the way of the world, you gotta know the, way, the ways the world treasures things. And of course, what we see in this, that the world weighs is a treasure talent. Do you know the temptation and the pressure that the world puts on you to be talented, gifted, beautiful? 
Do you fall prey to this temptation? I do. Why do you think I was in that counselor's office trying to run? I wanted to be this pastor that everyone just reveres and loves. I wanted people to be like, this is the guy you need to, you need to listen to. I want to be that guy because I fall prey to the way of the world. I want the world to treasure me and my talents. I'm guessing you do too. You want to shine. But friends, this is the way of the world. This is not the way of God. So we see that the way of the world is through its treasures, but we secondly see the way of the world through its technique. Through its technique. Now this is a little more nuanced because we have a kind of a challenge. But if you have talent, if you have the ability to do something, it is vitally important that you make a way or you, you perform the proper techniques to get the talent out there. This is, after all, what Jesus' brothers are trying to do with Jesus. Hey, you got a gift, man, and the Feast of Booths is coming. This is a great opportunity for you to show what you can do to all the world. Put yourself out there. But Jesus doesn't fall for this initially. You see, the Feast of the Booths, this is why it's really important to see this. The Feast of the Booths was the most popular Jewish festival in all of their religion. More people would come to, to, to Jerusalem to the Feast of Booths than any other time. So literally, the world is coming to Jerusalem. What a great opportunity. And Jesus' brothers, I mean, makes sense to me, are like, what a great opportunity. Do this. But Jesus doesn't fall for this initially, like I said. Worldly technique is displayed for us in this. What do the brothers ultimately want Jesus to do? They want him to make a name for himself. Get it out there. Get your talent out there. Make a name for yourself. Make a name. Do this. But Jesus doesn't fall for this technique because Jesus does not fall for the ways of the world. The ways of the world is a self-glorifying technique. This is what we see on all the social medias, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. It is literally a self-glorification program. Put yourself out there. This is what you feel when you post something on social media and then you go back and you look for the likes. How many people like this? How many people have posted or commented on this? This is the technique of the world. It is self-glorifying. This is what Jesus' brothers were doing. I don't even think it was with malcontent. It was simply like, hey, you're talented. Get it out there and do this. But Jesus doesn't do it initially. He is not motivated for self-glory. He is motivated for the glory of another. My time has not yet come, he says. I'm not driven by your time. I'm driven by my time. My technique is to be driven by the will of the Father and to bring him glory, not myself. But the ways of the world, the techniques of the world is always to bring oneself glory, not the glory of another. So the ways world, that we see the ways, ways of the world through its treasure, through its technique, and finally we see the way of the world through the way it values time. Consider the progression of the dialogue of Jesus and his brothers. And I want you to look again at verse six where Jesus says to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. It's a very strange phrase. My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What is Jesus getting at with this? What is this, your time is always here? We don't use this phrase very often. 
But what Jesus is doing right here is he's unpacking for them and for us the way that the world views time. Time to the world is always here and now, and only here and now, not what is to come. This is how the world thinks of time. It ignores the spiritual and the eternal and values that which exists right now. I love what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. He's like, look, if the resurrection doesn't happen, eat, drink, and be merry. For today we live, tomorrow we die. This is the way the world sees time. There is no point in investing in the eternal. Speaking of Rush Limbaugh, get your money, man. Live it up, then die. This is the way the world views time. Worldly only, worldliness only acknowledges the present in the present. Do you know who the most worldly people in all the world are? The most worldly people in all the world are. It's children. It's children. Children have no concept for the next day. They have no concept of saving for the future. What I, one of the things I've been doing lately with our kids, that we've been doing with our kids, is we've been having golf ball sales and lemonade sales out in front of our house. And I'll tell you what, they are making a killing off of this stuff. <laughs> I mean, they are just killing it. But I, I love, uh, we, we do this intentionally to teach them business principles, but also what it means to make money and to give money away and to save money. We want to teach them these principles. You should have seen the look on my son's face when I said, now we're going to give a tithe of this money. You're taking how much money from me? <laughs> what? Because we're teaching them to save some, to give some, and to spend some. Why? Because kids have no concept of then what's right in front of us. They're so worldly. <laughs> the way of the world, we see this in the way of the world. Time is here, and now it's not eternal. But Jesus obviously shows them, my time has not yet come, but yours is always here. This is the ways of the world. If we see the ways of the world and the way that it influences us, what it treasures, the techniques it uses, particularly to bring about the glorification of self and how what matters to us is right now, we can begin to understand, maybe I do want something different. We will never want something different unless we know that there's something different. So if we're gonna weaken the way of the world in our lives and to see its influence wane, we've gotta see the way it works in us. Those are three ways in which the world works in us. Can't you see it? Do you long for something more? I hope you do. So we've looked at the ways of the world. The second thing I want us to look at so that we might not be influenced by the will of the world is that we've got to experience the weight of the world. If we're gonna see the world's influence weaken in our life, we must experience the weight of the world and how crushing it is. What I want you to see more than anything is that there's no one in this world that is exempt from the weight of the world. Each and every one of us are exposed and fall under the influence of the world. You can't run from its ways. Do you know why? And I'll tell you from right from this text. Because Jesus' brothers were also influenced by the world. If you spend any time in church, you will hear a lot of spend time with Jesus 
Yeah, like crack open your Bible, get a cup of coffee and drink some coffee and drink. I think it's great. Drink with the Lord, all these sorts of things. But do you know what Jesus' brothers were doing with him all the time? They had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Jesus. Before they went to bed at night, probably one of the last conversations they had was with Jesus. They walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they played with Jesus, they lived with Jesus. Jesus was everywhere in their lives. And yet, Jesus' brothers were still deeply influenced by the world. You and I, who don't see Jesus and spend a lot of our time away from Jesus, what good do we have? We all fall under the weight of the world, its influences. I, I, I know, and I can see it in your faces, when I was walking through the ways of the world, of how the way of the world impacts you. We've all experienced it. And until we feel the weight of that and our inability to, to shed that off, we will never be ready to be, to be freed from the weight of the world. Look, I'm not a scholar in Greek mythology. Uh, I, well, who am I kidding? I barely know anything about Greek mythology. But I know a few things. I know a few things. I know that there's a man named Atlas. And Atlas would carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. And oh my goodness, those kids are going crazy. Rory, Rory, Rory spent like 20 years as a summer camp minister. I expect nothing less, but I love it. I love it. I love it. Atlas, Atlas carries the weight of the world. Do you know that in Greek mythology that he carries the weight of the world as a punishment? It's something that was given to him. He had to experience it. It's, kind of, it's, it's not that it's a punishment on us to carry the weight of the world, it's just the reality of our lives. The world is so heavy, we carry it on our shoulders and it crushes us. And we don't have the strength to push it off. We need rescuing from the weight of the world. Until we come to the realization that we need rescuing, not in our own strength, not in our own power, until we come to the realization that we don't have the power to lift the weight of the world off our own shoulders, we'll never experience the, the, the weakening of the world. We've got to realize we don't have that strength. It's a heavy, heavy burden. So we've looked at the way of the world and the ways that the world influences us in very particular ways. We've seen the weight of the world and how the weight of the world impacts all of us and until we realize that you and I are unable in our own strength, in our own power to push the weight of the world away from us, we will never experience the weakening of the world's influence on our lives. Finally, we're gonna come to how the world actually gets weakened for us. The world gets weakened. How does the weakening of the world begin and end? The weakening of the world begins and ends with our faithful Savior, Jesus. How does the beginning of the weakening of the world begin with Jesus? It begins by seeing that Jesus is unlike us. That Jesus is actually opposed to the ways of the world and will always be opposed to the way of the world. You can, you can recall, as we look through this, he doesn't fall prey to the treasures of the world. He doesn't fall prey to the techniques of the world. He doesn't fall prey to the time of the world. He says, my time has not yet come. So Jesus, we have to see this, doesn't feel the weight of the world that you and I feel. The world has no influence on Jesus. 
It begins because Jesus is not of this world. But we have to see it also begins with the fact that Jesus is opposed to the world. That Jesus is coming to the world to, to expose the world's ways. Look at what verse 7 says. He, Jesus says this to his brothers. Look, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So not only does Jesus resist the ways of the world, and he's not under his weight, but he wages war against the wor world. And he calls it out for what it is. It's evil. The ways of the world are evil. So this is how it begins, the weakening of the world, that we see Jesus is not of this world, that he's opposed to it, and he's seeking to bring relief. He's, he's adamantly opposed to it. So how does Jesus not only become the beginning of the weakening of the world, but the end of the weakening of the world? Well, ultimately, we're discussing a battle for the will of our heart. A battle for the influences that, that cause us to make decisions of where to go, what to do. And as we've been saying, left to ourselves, the world will have its ways. That's because the world is too powerful and too pervasive to be any different. So for the influence of the world to be weakened, there has to be a greater power than the world. Said a little bit differently, we need to be rescued from the weight of the world, from someone who's not influenced by it. And we need to be rescued by someone who can lift the weight of the world in his own strength. And this is what Jesus ultimately does. On two different occasions, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Verse six and verse eight. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Come. Why is Jesus using this phrase on two different occasions? Because he wants to demonstrate to us what he is about. If you look at verse one, what is verse one? How does it begin? You can see that verse one begins that after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, but he wouldn't go down into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now this time not yet come, and this phrase, he would not go because the Jews were seeking to kill him, are deeply connected. Anytime the gospel writer of this gospel, John, writes about Jesus' time, he's referring to his death. And so in verse one, the time for him to not die is not yet come. If he followed the way of his brothers, the way of the world, it certainly would have brought about his death right then and right there. But Jesus is following the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to actually go down in secret, which he does, because he eventually does go to the Feast of Booths, but he does it in secret. The will of the Father is different. And this is what's incredibly important to my time has not yet come in the relationship with the Father's will. The will of the Father is for him to ultimately die. And Jesus does ultimately die a year later at the hands of these same people. What's taking place? What is happening? At that time, a year later, the world finally got their hands on Jesus. And they thought they were doing a great service to the Jews and to the Romans to kill Jesus. They demonstrated their power over Jesus to put him up on a cross, 
to put nails in his hands and, and, a, and a crown of thorns on his head and nails through his feet. They thought they were demonstrating greater power than Jesus had. But this was the will of the Father. The will of the Father for one to break the power of the world by set, putting himself on the cross and then three days later, rising from the dead. You see, the world thought it was flexing its muscles by putting Jesus in the grave. But God was taking the ways of the world and turning it on its head in the resurrection of Jesus. The beginning of the end of the world's weakening begins when you see that Jesus has greater power than the ways of the world. That he can take the ways of the world and actually use them for good. And we see this in the cross. When we see that Jesus has more power than the world, we will look to him. But here's the thing. Our hearts need to be wooed. Our hearts need to be convinced that this is the right way. And what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to bring redemption to those he's elected, loved, and cared for. So when we see Jesus going to the cross, he's submitting to the will of the Father to bring redemption to those who are being crushed by the weight of the world. The way in which you begin to feel relief is that you see that not only has Christ conquered the grave and, and conquered the power of the world, but that he loves you and cares for you. I had two heartbreaks in my life before I met Kimberly, one in high school and the other in college. I wish I could say to you these were childish heartbreaks, but in truth, they weren't. They cut deep to my heart and soul. I lived with these heartaches and difficulties for a long time, and I think it's from these relationships which my body began to experience a lot of its anxiety. So I would feel in very physical form anxiety that came from these heartbreaks. But do you know what started to change for me? Do you, do you know what enabled me to get past the influence of those broken relationships? It was when I met Kimberly. When my heart began to grow in greater affection for the love of another person, it's the same with us and the influence of the world. How in the world can the world weaken in its influence when you understand what Jesus has done, how he's conquered the world, he's more powerful than the world, and he's done it with a heart full of love. When you understand that Jesus is not only stronger, but he loves you more, your heart will begin to melt for him. And you'd far prefer the influence of God than the influence of the world. Friends, we have that in Jesus. He has conquered the ways of the world. He has pushed it away. He has, he has, he has used the ways of the world and turned it on its head. And he has done it with love in his eyes for you and for me. Oh, that your heart would beat with great affection for him, for this is the beginning of the change that comes for the will of our heart. Look, I know you can't go back and rewrite dreams. I don't know if you've ever done that. You've had a dream, you're like, you try to like live it out in your mind and you like change things, but I'm gonna do that anyway. I'm gonna do that for me. Because if I had the ability to do this in the midst of my dreams and, and, and thinking about all that we've preached about, this is how my dream, being chased by a tiger, would end, and it's taken some twists and turns, okay? So just bear with me, okay? 
You're not taking medicine or you're not taking pills to hear this dream, okay? In my dream, remember, I jumped off the cliff and I grab on to a branch. The tiger's still above me and I'm yelling, I just want to matter, I just want to matter. Here's the twist. In my dream, I'm not holding on to a branch. An arm is holding me. And the arm that's holding me is Jesus. And as I'm saying, I just wanna matter, I just wanna matter, Jesus says to me, you do matter. I'm holding on to you. I love you. You do? Yeah, I died for you. Of course you matter. You do? Yes, you matter. You mean I don't have to be this pastor that everyone looks at and, 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 and wants to speak at all these great, great conferences and I don't have to have a church of a, a thousand people? No. You matter because I died for you. I loved you. Are you serious about that, Jesus? Yeah. And oh, by the way, we gotta, get, we gotta attack this tiger. We gotta do what? Yeah, we gotta attack this tiger. And so that arm that's holding me climbs up the cliff and there's the tiger. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> that's a tiger. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it, I got this. He grabs that tiger by the mane and throws it off the cliff. What did you just do? I've overcome the world. You know the last night Jesus spent with his disciples, do you wanna know one of the words that he said? I have told you things, these things, that you might have peace. In this world, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've taken that tiger, and I've thrown him off the cliff. Friends, may the world weaken in your life. May its influence go less and less. And may the Lord, the one who is more powerful than the world, the one who's died for us and loves us, grow greater and greater. Let me pray. It is true, Lord, that the world's ways continue to have an impact on my life and on the lives of my friends. It manifests itself in ways that we've talked about, but certainly in many other ways. We can beat ourselves up, we can panic and experience a ton of anxiety from the ways of the world in our lives. But you have reminded us through your word today, you have reminded us through what you have done and what you are doing, that you are greater than the world, that you have overcome the world, and that the world does not have to have the influence on our lives that we put onto it. And I give you thanks that you have given us the ability to do this, to experience this. So I pray increasingly from this time that the ways of the world would weaken in all of our heart and our minds and we would live faithfully with our ear to the ground listening for your will in our lives for the glory of your name and not for ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name.